This is The Trip That Changed Me, a podcast about trips that transform. I'm Esme Benjamin, editor of Full-Time Travel. I'll be sitting down with entrepreneurs, writers, entertainers, and everyday adventurers to discuss a journey that shifted their mindset, ignited a new calling, expanded their heart, or ushered in a new chapter. Megan O'Day is a writer and editor who started traveling the world at age 10 when her world traveler grandmother took her around the perimeter of the United States by train. She spent her teens traveling Europe alongside her professor father and his students and never looked back. In college, Megan traveled extensively in the UK and as part of her master's program in creative nonfiction, spent a summer semester in Hong Kong. Eventually, Megan turned her family legacy of lifelong learning and wanderlust into a career covering everything from outdoor recreation and music festivals to Caribbean nudist resorts and sustainability. She now works as a digital editor for Lonely Planet and is constantly planning her next trip. Megan told me all about that epic childhood train trip, the ways her grandmother's intrepid, spontaneous nature rubbed off on her, and the reason her preferred style of travel these days is going it alone. Megan O'Day, welcome to The Trip That Changed Me. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. And you and I, as we were just saying, met actually a year ago on a press trip to Wyoming. And we spent many, many hours, I think, swapping travel stories over dinner and long car journeys. And the one that springs to mind was when you were sent on assignment to a nudist hotel in Jamaica. Yes, I uh, <laughs> did go visit hedonism too. <laughs> and that's not the, the story that you've chosen to share today. <laughs> That was a life-changing trip, but of a different kind. That is a much different story. <laughs> um, this is probably like the eighth interview I've done for the podcast, and at this point, I've noticed some themes emerging. One is travel that instigates a turning point in adult life, and the other is travel during childhood and the way it connects us to our family and to our roots. And yours falls very much into the latter category. I'd love to begin by hearing a bit about your family and how your upbringing inspired a love of travel. Yeah, so my grandmother was this big world traveler, and that was very unusual for the time in which she was having her young and middle and later adulthood. You know, this was the 1960s. This is Mad Men era. And, you know, she had five kids. She got married pretty young. And then at a certain point, she said to herself, there's so much to see out there. She had this sort of boundless curiosity and she didn't really care if it was the thing to do or if this is what women did. She was just going to go. And she decided that she wanted to take each of her grandchildren on a trip individually, which, I mean, she sounds like an amazing and very adventurous woman. What was your relationship with her like when you were a kid? I always lived pretty far away from any of our extended family. And so I heard all of these lovely stories about my adventure grandmas, I like to call her, growing Aww. up and how she would just take off to Israel or India and had had all of these lovely experiences. Um, when she went to India, she broke her arm, I believe, on a train platform. And a local woman ended up taking her in um, and inviting her to stay with her family for, I think, a week. Uh, while she recuperated. And so she just had all of these very admirable, um, thrilling stories. But I only really saw her about once a year. And usually when we went up to Western New York, to this small town in between Buffalo and Rochester for our family reunions. So to be invited 
on a very special train trip of my very own where it was just me and her one-on-one. This was the most special thing in the world. I felt so grown up. How long was the train journey and what was the itinerary? So Florence was this avid train traveler. Um, If she could go by train, she would. And to the point that recently, uh, you know, she died while I was in college And we always wondered why she never went to South Dakota. She went to North Dakota, which is arguably the less interesting of the Dakotas. You know, there's (laughs) no um, Mount Rushmore. There's no Badlands. And um, well, North Dakota has an Amtrak line and South Dakota doesn't. So if that tells you anything about this woman's dedication to train travel, um, (laughs) she missed an entire state and several national parks, uh, which she was huge fans of. So... She wanted to create this wonderful introduction to train travel for each of her grandchildren. And since I'm the oldest, I got the longest and most ambitious trip. So it lasted about 10 days and I was 10 years old. She came down from Buffalo and met me in Atlanta where my mom dropped me off about two hours south of my hometown in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And from Atlanta, we proceeded on to New Orleans and then Los Angeles, then up to San Francisco. And then we cut over across the Rocky Mountains and the Great Plains to Denver, and then on up to Buffalo to meet the rest of the family for our annual reunion. That sounds epic. So for people who have never taken a big cross-country train journey like this, can you describe the train and what a typical day is like? Yeah, so we were staying in sleeper cars since it was this whole... um, long extended trip and not just a quick overnight. And we would spend some of the day with the sleeping car set up, you know, with benches and we could take our meals there and and have it set up as a living room. But so much of my grandmother's travel style, which rubbed off on me to this day, was about really getting to experience other people as much as other places. And so it was a big thing for her to talk to strangers and get ourselves invited into other people's private cars and to have the experience of chatting with other people in in the old school dining car um, setup that Amtrak is just recently changing up on some of its routes. Uh, So it was all about making friends. So we would get up in the morning, we would have our meal in the dining car. And Florence's thing, she grew up in the Great Depression and Um, She was a very frugal person who didn't like waste. And so if there were any extra rolls on people's plates after they finished, we swiped them on our way out. So we'd have a snack for (laughs) later. There was just always this sort of like madcap whimsy to traveling with Florence. You never really knew what she was going to do next. So that marked a lot of our our routine or lack thereof. You know, we built our days around mealtimes and we spent a lot of time in the observation car. Back then, Amtrak on certain routes also had sort of a a rumpus room car for kids that was that's amazing <laughs> yeah it was so great it was heavily upholstered and you could really just go in there and like cartwheel and like get your energy out so <laughs> when we were on the train we were usually reading watching out the window talking to other people um eating our purloined dinner rolls but then the nice thing about this trip is that it was punctuated by these stops in cities at which point we'd get out and we'd start to explore and which cities did you stop at Uh, We stopped at New Orleans, uh, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Denver. And whenever we stopped off at a city, we 
usually would have a night or two there off the train. Uh, we would stay in hostels and we really would explore these cities on foot as much as possible. We would just sort of wander to botanical gardens, to city parks, museums. Uh, and that was something that I'd never really gotten to experience before because as a small child, most of our family travel was taken up with getting to grandparents' houses or reunions or this sort of obligatory travel that was not so much about seeing cities as seeing um, the houses of various relatives. So it was really thrilling to, this was my first time seeing so many uh, cities back to back that I hadn't experienced before. Yeah, I can't really imagine a country better suited to train travel than America, given that it's so huge and also has such a diversity of landscapes. Do you feel like this was the first time 10-year-old Megan had really traveled outside of her bubble on a trip of this scale? Not exactly. I had had one prior um, experience when my parents and I spent the summer living in Berkeley, California, um, and we did the classic family American road trip across. Uh, I mean, we started in Tennessee and I ended up in California as far west as you can go. And we stopped at, you know, the Grand Canyon and um, the Painted Desert and all these lovely national and state parks along the way. Um, but this was my first time, um, one, traveling by train, two, being away from home so long without my parents, and two, really feeling like I had so much agency in um, the travel experience. Yeah, you said in a note to our producers, what I remember most was the sheer enthusiasm, not only as a kid getting to do a lot of really novel stuff, but also as my grandmother's unceasing enthusiasm and delight in the world around her. It was infectious, which is so lovely. <laughs> do you feel like there are any specific memories from the trip which highlight a moment of total enthusiasm that the two of you shared? I mean, the whole thing, really. I mean, she had this way of um, just having no boundaries. And, and that's so interesting to me in an era when we talk very much about, you know, boundaries as part of self-care and as part of this sort of, you know, online holistic psychology movement. But Florence was just wide open. And so she just so effortlessly made friends no matter where we went. And I remember just chatting with another family who had a kid who was a little bit older than me. We ended up making great friends with them on one leg of our journey and hanging out with them in their private car. And this kid and I, we got into a kind of contest to see who could build uh, the more epic house of cards without the vibration from the train knocking it over. And the whole time that I was working on, on getting these cards stacked. And Florence was just chatting away. She had this effortless um, ability to communicate with people in a way that didn't belay uh, if, she, if she experienced any social anxiety or uh, anxiety of other sorts. And as a kind of introverted adult, this just continues to amaze me. The way travel really kind of gave her a channel for this huge amount of energy. Yeah, travel is also kind of this great bridge, I think, between adults and kids, because it often contains, you know, moments where the two of you are experiencing and learning new things, but on an equal footing with one another. So like the adult is exploring the world in a childlike way again. Um, and perhaps that leads to more of a sense of playfulness than you might get in your regular life. Do you think that's true? Oh, that's absolutely true. And I don't think there was anybody ever in the history of the world who was more young at heart than, than Florence Williams. There's this famous story that my grandfather loves to tell about um, a time they were traveling in uh, Jerusalem, I believe. And there was this 
ancient stone wall that was right up on the edge of a cliff. And she just got it into her head. She had this impulse that she wanted to walk and kind of run along the top of it. And so she just took off and she jumped up there and she started going. And of course, he's having all of these sort of realistic adult fears about maybe she'll fall or (laughs) don't know what Florence getting into now. But he I mean, we all have this great mental image still of her um, just fearlessly following this impulse. And, you know, even when she was uh, towards the end of her life, uh, which was cut unexpectedly short by an accident, actually, while she was traveling, she always had this boundless enthusiasm. She never lost that curiosity about the world around her or that impulsivity to utterly experience it moment to moment. I just want to touch on what you just said then about her passing away during a travel, an accident during travel. Do you feel comfortable sharing what happened there? Yeah, she actually uh, died in a car accident uh, while she was in Virginia visiting old friends from nursing school. And my grandfather was with her on that trip. And um, unfortunately, uh, both of them did not make it home. But it seemed so appropriate, um, despite the, the obvious tragedy of the situation, that she would go out doing what she loved, which was to travel, to stay in touch with people. You know, it's so impressive that for a generation that really had very little overlap with social media um, and even with really email or, or internet technology, that she had such a gift for maintaining connections with people from the many different eras of her life. And how lovely that you got to take this trip with her and, you know, travel so amazing for creating kind of sticky memories, like those flashbulb memories. Uh, do you think to some degree, your grandmother saw this trip as a kind of legacy, you know, that the wonderful memories that two of you shared would stay with you. And then one day you might potentially recount them to your own grandkids. One of my sort of lingering, uh, I don't want to say regrets, but my lingering quandaries is because my grandmother passed away when I was um, very early on in college. There were a lot of questions I never got to ask her and a lot of conversations I really wish we could have adult to adult. Uh, and since I did not have that opportunity, I'm especially extra grateful for having had this train trip experience. And one of the questions I wish I could ask her is what her intentions for this train trip was and, and what her expectations were for being able to do this with each of her grandchildren, which unfortunately that project got cut short and, and wasn't seen to fruition. So I said before, I'm the oldest grandchild, and I got sort of the most ambitious trip. Um, My cousins, Katie and Robin, uh, had shorter excursions also on train to the Erie Canal. And some of my other cousins uh, didn't get their chance to do that with Florence. Uh, So I'm not exactly sure if she was hoping to just introduce me to travel, if she was hoping this would be a legacy thing that would pass down through the generations. I'm not sure if she was thinking of it in those terms. Um, I'm sure that was kicking around on on some sort of subconscious level. But I think what she was absolutely considering it was an introduction to travel and an introduction to a real delight in the world. She always brought gifts back from her trips, uh, books, uh, guides to gardens that were written um, to appeal to a child's perspective. And I think a lot of her motivation, um, whether she was bringing me along for the ride or uh, bringing me souvenirs, um, was to include me in the way she felt when she was getting to go on an adventure. You told our producers 
I'm not entirely sure what my grandmother's goals and hopes were for taking me on this trip, but I know she'd be absolutely thrilled that the end result was a lifelong curiosity about the world and that I've made it a fundamental part of my lifestyle. This trip made me see there are possibilities for myself as a woman to travel alone, to drink the world in, to connect with other humans, and to do it fearlessly and with joy. I absolutely loved this. Can you expand on the ways your grandmother and this trip affected your preferred style of travel? Absolutely. To this day, even though I'm uh, approaching my mid-30s and could stay in I guess, fancier accommodations, I still have this tendency to stay in hostels um, well past traditional college backpacking age because I like that sense of community that you get. And there was a sort of legacy of frugal travel, you know, not saving up for huge bucket list expensive trips, but instead breaking that budget up into smaller, more accessible trips so that travel is something that um, is just a regular part of your life and your year and isn't this um, standalone sort of separate experience, but to find ways to knit it into, if not your day-to-day, um, a sort of frequency of your life. But the other piece of it is that, and I think this is something I, I had to like learn and mature into, Um, to get where my grandmother was coming from on this, is to be really fearless about travel despite any barriers that you might face. And this is something I've embraced uh, a lot in my 30s. I spent my 20s feeling on some level like I needed a partner to go with me or I needed to wait for certain stars to align in my life, a certain level of income, a certain level of um, having girlfriends or a romantic partner to travel with um, for safety, but also because, you know, oh, what if I get lonely while I'm out there? And those aren't things Florence worried about. Florence was never worried that I know of about being lonely. She was curious about who she would meet. And solo travel for her enabled her to have conversations and connect with people in a way that you just aren't as likely to uh, when you have a travel companion. I totally agree with that. I think Traveling solo kind of presents this opportunity to be more present and more observant and also just more open to serendipity. Like, you know, the companion gives you a sense of comfort, but it also means you have to compromise. (laughs) But yeah, I'd love to hone in a bit more on this topic of solo female travel, um, because I know that's the way that you really like to explore. For sure. My grandmother loved traveling with my grandfather. And and I think, you know, on some level, she probably wished he had um, gone with her more. But um, the man really loves practicing law, and that's his big raison d'etre is to run this small-town law practice. So when he couldn't go with her, she wasn't going to sit around wishing that she was seeing and doing things. Um, she was going to go. And so she never let a fear of loneliness or a fear of missing out on time with her, the great love of her life, to make her life smaller in any way. I mean, she spent a semester at sea. You know, she would go on months-long trips. Wow, she was so intrepid. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there was just no holding Florence back. (laughs) And so that spirit of solo travel and that unwillingness to, to wait, that has really inspired me, especially the older I get, because there is so much of the world to see. And as you said, you can be so present and really drink it in more in a way when you don't have that filter or lens of another person 
um, sort of moderating the experience. Yeah, there have been lots of studies in the last few years that show that women are more curious about traveling alone. And I think, you know, attitudes are slowly shifting and women are seeing solo travel not just as a last resort if they don't have an obvious travel companion in their lives, but as an experience they actually want to have, like a way of knowing themselves more deeply and actually like a bucket list experience in and of itself. Absolutely. A bucket list experience doesn't have to be just about the destination or just about doing something really unique like a particular scuba diving trip or seeing a particular work of art at a museum. A bucket list experience can also be um, something like taking your first trip alone or your 50th trip alone and really sinking deeply into um, the self-knowledge that comes from having as few barriers between yourself and the world as possible and having to really rely on yourself uh, in a fundamental way. You're outside of your comfort zone. There's all sorts of logistical issues that come with travel, emotional fears, your buttons get pushed, your triggers get triggered, and you're out there in the world by yourself and whatever you know pickle you get into, knowing that you have the capability to sort it out. You're now an editor and writer for Lonely Planet, which congrats. I feel like, honestly, that has been a dream job of mine since I was a teenager and I first got hold of the guidebooks. Do you think you'd have ended up pursuing the career path you did if it weren't for this trip? Absolutely not. This was something that in many ways uh, I fell uh, a little backwards into, uh, which is a whole long story for another day. But this was really the seed, I think, this train trip that my grandmother planted. I mean, obviously, there were other elements of my life uh, that made that seed planted in very fertile soil. Um, My parents were also very encouraging of travel and built our family lifestyle around that as much as they could. Um, But the example that my grandmother set for me in terms of being willing to travel alone and often and on her own terms in an era when we didn't have hashtag female solo travel and we didn't have websites like Lonely Planet publishing articles on how to do this. Um, We didn't have Elizabeth Gilbert's Eat, Pray, Love as a model and an inspiration. She had role models, certainly. I I love going through the books that she left behind um, in her basement and they're odes to Victorian female travelers like Isabel Bird. And she definitely had a way of honing in on other women who had experiences that she could kind of model her own adventures off of or who let her know that this was a thing that could be done. But having that kind of chain between those early female solo travelers and how they inspired my grandmother, and then having her sort of give me this introductory crash course in how to travel well. It absolutely set me up for a life of travel and a life of wanting to share that history and that culture and sort of a how-to with other people. And so I think of my work at Lonely Planet, um, which is such a dream come true, and I'm so happy to be um, with this amazing organization, um, in a lot of ways getting to do what my grandmother did for me in sharing how to sort of live your best life in the world at large. And this past winter, you took the Coast Starlight train route from Los Angeles to Portland, essentially retracing a section of that original trip. How did that feel? I knew it was going to be a moving experience, and, and I something I felt really called to do. 
but I was really blown away by just how emotional it was standing in Los Angeles's train station again for the first time since I was 10 years old and how familiar everything seemed. I mean, the leather of the seats and it's worn and cracked and, and the warm wood. And um, there's such a sense of history at the, uh, the train station in Los Angeles. And all of a sudden I was 10 years old again. Um, it was it was magical. And then, you know, I didn't have some of the niceties on my Coast Starlight trip this past winter that I did on the original train trip. I didn't opt for the sleeper car since I was just going up to Portland. And that was great, though, because that put me out with the other passengers. I spent a lot of time in the observation car. One of the really lovely things about the Coast Starlight route is the way the train um, sort of wraps around the base of Mount Whitney at the uh, far end of Northern California. And getting to see that at sunrise, um, there was a guy who brought out his guitar at one point and he was strumming along. And I mean, you know, this sounds a little uh, new age woo, but I really felt like my grandmother was present, even if it was only in the sense that this was something I knew that would delight her and I was feeling that delight sort of on both of our behalves. It's moments like that that make travel really special, but also are such an important reminder of the connection that we've had um, with the people who've helped make us who we are. That's a beautiful way of putting it. And if you could distill this trip into one life lesson to pass on to our listeners, what would it be? I would say to not wait you know, my grandmother might have held off on this trip until I was a little older. Uh, I don't know that much about children, honestly, but 10 seems to be sort of a, a young age to introduce some of these adult themes like self-reliance and uh, just being away from your parents for, for so long. But she didn't wait. And I'm so grateful because um, we did have a limited amount of time together. And I'm really grateful that I'm one of the few grandchildren she managed to have this experience with. But also things change. I mean, train travel is not what it once was in the United States. And uh, routes change. Um, things like the dining car service change. Um, even the number of people traveling by train um, and the reasons why they're doing it change. Places, landscapes change. I mean, we're seeing so much with um, ski slopes, uh, the runs being altered by um, climate change, um, you know, glaciers melting. There's such a sense of urgency, I think, that a lot of people feel now, and especially in the travel space, that my grandmother decided, you know what, this is the year, this is the moment, and this is the trip we're going to take, and um, Megan's ready. It was really great reminder that even if you don't necessarily think you're ready, even if, you know, there's no parenting book that says, yes, take your kid on an around the country train trip when you're <laughs> 10, that it's okay. You'll figure it out. You just need to get out there and do it. I'm curious to know if you have any idea what Florence's version of the trip that changed her was. That's a very good question. I was looking at uh, Lonely Planet's Best in Travel 2020 list just came out, and I was perusing it to see um, how many of these um, must-visit destinations were uh, places that Florence uh, ticked off on her list. And, you know, many of them were, including uh, some of the places we went on this train trip, like Denver and Buffalo, are both on the Best in Travel list. And of the many trips she took, I mean, she visited every continent. She visited 49 out of the 50 states. 
Um, I'm not sure what she would say was the most defining trip. I mean, was it the bike trip in Alaska where she fell off the side of a mountain and had to deal with some, you know, injuries from that? Was it her honeymoon road trip with my grandfather? Um, They had two weddings, one in New York and then one down south with her family um, in two different churches. And their honeymoon was driving, meandering between the two weddings. But I like to think that it was it was a train trip that she took that was maybe her most defining. Um, She grew up as a poor preacher's daughter in Alabama, and she got herself into Columbia Nursing School. And the only thing holding her back from this huge opportunity was that her family didn't have the money for train fare to New York. And her father managed to um, work it out with the Presbyterian Church that he would attend a conference and that she would be able to come along. And that's how they got her to New York, uh, was through his work with the Presbyterian Church. And so I think about that train trip she took to New York and everything that was waiting for her. Um, Once she got there, I mean, that's where she met my grandfather. That's where, um, in a lot of ways, her life really began. But it all started with that first train trip uh, from Alabama. I just want to backtrack a little and go back to the fact that You said your grandma had a knack of introducing herself to new people without a lick of embarrassment. And I love what you described about kind of car hopping and meeting these different people along the route. Can you share any stories from from those moments? Like, I think there was one group from New Orleans. You said it was kind of a party. Yeah. (laughs) So if you've ever seen that movie, um, Trading Places, um, with Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd, and at the end, there's a New Year's party where everybody's in costume and they're on train from Philadelphia. That's sort of the the nearest analog I can think to this experience. We um, were on our way from Atlanta and there was this big group that had rented a whole beautiful private Pullman car for some kind of party. And, and it wasn't quite um, as eccentric as the, the scene in Trading Places. There, there were no Halloween costumes, but there was this air of mirth and there was confetti and and glitter and there were all of these adults just having a lovely time and I don't know how they ended up inviting us to join in all the festivity on this train car with them but but that's Florence for you if there's a party and there's people to talk to um she's just going to kind of invite herself along so that was a really special experience getting kind of welcomed into these people's celebration and we also had this great incident at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel in Los Angeles, where there had been a delay and um, our trip had gotten off schedule and we had missed uh, one of our hostel bookings. So Amtrak ended up putting us up for a night in what was obviously a much nicer place than we had originally had booked. Uh, And we made friends with a French family who didn't even speak that much English. Uh, But I had the best afternoon playing in the pool uh, with this kid and I knew like some very rudimentary French from elementary school. I knew bonjour and I knew fromage. Um, <laughs> That's a crucial one. <laughs> yeah, we, I knew hello and cheese. But, you know, when you're kids, you don't really need to verbally communicate so much. You can just get along and have a good time. And I think that that childlike spirit Florence had, she had that ability to kind of wordlessly communicate with people, even if they didn't have language in common or the same cultural background. Um, she always found a way to get her sort of jeu de vivre um, across, no matter who you were. Hmm. 
Megan, you've been awesome. Thank you so much. And Florence sounds like an absolute gem. <laughs> Before you go, I've got a few quick fire questions for you. Yeah, sure thing. So what is one thing that you believe every person should experience in their lifetime? I think everybody should have the chance to travel by themselves um, to the absolute most foreign environment um, from whatever is your uh, most familiar experience. I took a trip to to Hong Kong by myself uh, five or six years ago and couldn't read any of the street signs, um, didn't know what I was eating half the time. And it was such an utterly lovely experience. Um, The kindness that I experienced from strangers, um, the confidence that I gained from having to sort out the logistics and sort of move through this very foreign space. I came back from that trip with a much better understanding of what I was capable of. And that changed the way I approached day-to-day life at home. I think everybody should have that opportunity to really get outside of their element and get a taste of what all of the other billions of people on this earth are up to um, outside of your own little bubble. Perfect. And I want to play also a quick round of this or that based on your travel experiences. So if not train, then plane or car? I'm going to have to go with car. One, there's some concerns increasingly cropping up about the impact of air travel on the climate crisis. But in addition to that, traveling by car, I think, is the most uh, analogous way to, to train travel that you can get without actually being on a train in terms of the ability to stop, observe the scenery around you as you go. Um, I really fell in love with the classic American road trip this year when I drove east from Portland to Nashville for the opportunity with Lonely Planet. And I managed to string a route together that hit several national parks, um, gave me an opportunity to spend time with family in Minneapolis and Chicago, uh, but also to take Florence to that 50th state that she never made it to while she was alive. I uh, sprinkled some of her ashes in South Dakota just to make sure that she got that final state checked off her list. Bed and breakfast or fancy hotel? Uh, Definitely a bed and breakfast, even if they uh, are not full-on hostel uh, and it's nicer and and you get the the meal included. There's still uh, an air of camaraderie to bed and breakfasts that can be very charming and um, enriching. Window seat or aisle seat? Window seat, for sure. you got to see the takeoff and the landing. I love watching the ground changed beneath you and uh, those weird circular patterns from the irrigation systems on farms. I mean, <laughs> there's just so much you can learn about. I wondered what those were. <laughs> it's, it's from the circular rotating pattern of like a giant sprinkler, basically. Oh, and uh, yeah, I mean, there's just so much to learn, so much information to be gained if you, if you have that window seat. Um, I'm a big geology nut and, and, topographic map nut. And so if you have your window seat, um, it's your own personal like cartography lesson. A long trip in one city or short stops in many cities? I'd say the long trip uh, in one city. And mainly because that way you can truly immerse yourself. I get the recent trend in, you know, making the most of your limited paid time off and trying to see as much of the world as possible weekend to weekend. And and that's very admirable. But 
I think that having a longer sojourn in a place and really getting to know it intimately, um, really getting to be in conversation, read a city as a text, um, having time to meander aimlessly and get lost in a place, that's far more valuable to me from my perspective um, than just being able to say, okay, done. I saw the Eiffel Tower. Let's go. We got to get to Luxembourg. Like, go, go, go. That actually leads very well to the next one, which is planned itinerary or spontaneous exploration. I think that there's definitely um, pros and cons to both. Uh, A planned itinerary is nice in terms of, you know, some basic structure, budgeting, um, making sure, especially if you're traveling alone, that somebody knows roughly where you're going to be when and when to start worrying. Um, But I think within the itinerary, it's very important to leave room for spontaneous encounters and um, the things that just come up. I had a great trip to Ogden, Utah when I was in college, where a neighboring table invited me to join them for dinner. And, you know, I I weighed the, if there were red flags or bells and whistles there. And it ended up being the most delightful evening um, that I was completely unplanned, completely spontaneous. And now that's one of my favorite travel memories. And finally, hypothetically speaking, of course, time travel or teleportation. That's a tough one. Um, I would have to say teleportation. One, because I'm assuming that it is a uh, carbon neutral uh, (laughs) means of transportation. But also, uh, I think that one of my favorite things about travel is that even if it's linear geographic travel, you do have an opportunity to revisit other times and other eras. I mean, when I was standing in that Los Angeles uh, train station this past winter, I felt for a minute like I was 10 years old and Florence was there. And, um, you know, you step into a temple in Shanghai that's been there for hundreds of years. And it doesn't matter if it's 2019 or if it's 1700. Um, The incense smells the same. The wood catches the light the same way. Um, Travel is our time machine, and it is our opportunity to um, really escape all sorts of linear and binary confines. Very well said. Megan, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been a delight. You can, of course, read Megan's work on LonelyPlanet.com. You can also peep her eclectic adventures on Instagram by following at live.true.stories. Just a quick note to say, this is the last episode of season one. The Trip That Changed Me will be back with a slew of new guests in the fall. And while it will still be dedicated to life-altering travel stories, we will also address how the events of 2020 have changed us and influence the way we explore the world. 